Hello and welcome to this episode of Next Generation Public Affairs, a podcast brought to you by Rudd Pedersen in Brussels. Today I'm joined by Ian Burns, the preeminent recruitment professional in Brussels, and also I'm proud to say a colleague now, given that Ian runs RP People, which is part of the Rudd Pedersen Group, like the agency that I work for. It's of course an exciting time to be in public affairs, given the many changes that are underway in our industry, which we of course explore in this podcast. So I'm um, keen to hear from Ian today about the changing nature of recruitment within public affairs. How are the many changes that are underway reflected in uh, the candidates that he comes across on a day-to-day basis? Great to have you on, Ian. Hello, Stefan. Would you like to kick off by telling listeners a bit about yourself and your background, please? Sure. Um, well, I call myself a headhunter these days. Um, I've been in this business for over 25 years, um, working across a variety of sectors. Um, I started my career in the UK, um, in Scotland, and spent after that about 10 years in London, uh, which was quite an exciting period during the 80s and 90s. Um, Went back to Scotland, set up my own recruitment business there, which I ran for about 10 years. Uh, before coming to Belgium Um, and uh, having tried uh, a couple of different things, uh, coming to a new country in a new city, uh, I found myself pulled back into the wonderful world of headhunting. But this time into a sector that I wasn't really familiar with before and it was the wonderful world of uh, European affairs or public affairs, but within this, um, uh, what was very mysterious at the time, uh, the Brussels bubble. And uh, and that's where I've spent the past seven years uh, concentrating on recruitment of European affairs and public affairs professionals, um, communications professionals, and very much within um, the, uh, an EU context. Out of curiosity, how does recruitment or headhunting for European affairs differ from headhunting in the other areas or sectors you worked in? Yeah, certainly some uh, so, some key differences. Uh, and in fact, you know, uh, going back to what I said about uh, in my introduction, um, when I first came to Brussels, I was determined not to continue in headhunting because, you know, to be frank, I thought I've, I've had enough of that. Um, but actually, um, it's, it's, it's the differences in how things work in Brussels that actually attractive and uh, pulled me back into the sector. Um, for example, um, just as a you know an anecdote, um, when I when I first came here, um, a lot of people were very open to having coffee, um, uh, and in the past, uh, certainly in the UK, if I was uh, contacting a potential client. Um, I probably needed to contact them at least four or five times. Um, I had to be very clear on what we were going to discuss, um, how long it was going to take, and at the end, what was going to be in it for them. So I was quite surprised when I came to Brussels and I made contacts, and quite often on the first call, um, uh, coffee was suggested. Um, uh, and of course, I became a little bit disappointed that uh, the meetings didn't always involve coffee. But I realised it was actually um, more of a sort of a euphemism for an informal chat. Um, and that's one of the key differences. I found that certainly in Brussels, people are much more 
open to exchanging information. They're much more open to dialogue um, without there necessarily needing to be um, an agreement of an outcome or a particular outcome, particularly not at the first meeting. Mm. So that's one of the key differences and as a, a, a very a very welcome difference uh, in the market. Uh, so something else that I've noticed, and this has um, uh, become uh, more apparent over time, is the, um, I suppose, the sort of average age of a lot of the offices that I work with and a lot of the functions that I work with. Um, I, I mean, I've been speaking to students recently from uh, uh, various countries outside of Brussels. Um, and at the age of sort of 29, 30, uh, one of the questions they have for me is, am I not too old to start a career in Brussels? Um, and of course, I, I, I tell them that uh, at late 20s, early 30s, many people are still um, completing their internships or, uh, or, 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 or a stage. Um, whereas, yeah, in the UK and Italy and uh, various other countries, once you're into late 20s, early 30s, you're already expected to be in middle management uh, and afford your career. So it, it, it's another it's another interesting differential that I find here. But I think overall, it's it's the rich mixture of um, the political as well as commercial interests that I think carve out some of these differences. Rude Pedersen recently purchased your previous agency, Artesian becoming the first agency in Brussels to have a recruitment arm. Um, what's the logic behind the purchase? Why does it make sense for a public affairs agency to, to also do headhunting? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, the easiest answer for me is to talk about uh, why it was interesting for me. Um, I mean, the, the opportunity to be part of a, a vibrant, informed team of people um, I mean, for me, it was quite irresistible. Um, and also for me, what it, what it also gave me as a headhunter uh, that I didn't really have before is more of a pan-European reach, uh, particularly from a client perspective. Uh, so that certainly um, is beginning to make life more interesting from a recruitment perspective. Um, but I think for, um, you know, for Rude Pedersen, um, uh, I mean, they already had some legacy in, uh, uh, in that RP people already existed uh, in some form in uh, Sweden and in Denmark uh, and also in Finland. So there was some legacy there already. But, you know, I think the, the link between um, public affairs, communications and people is inextricable. So I think that link already exists and therefore is logical, it makes perfect sense to bring them both together under one roof uh, to enhance the offering to clients. You mentioned that you've recruited for European affairs uh, for seven years now. How in broad terms, have the profiles of the people you recruit changed, if at all? 
Well, I think what, you know, over the past seven years, we've seen more millennials come to the fore. Um, and obviously, this is um, uh, this is something that's quite well documented. Um, although I think it's still uh, there's still a bone of contention there as to whether millennials really are from another planet uh, compared to everyone that came before. Um, but I mean, certainly in terms of what uh, clients are expecting uh, of people coming through, uh, one is I think just having more insight on what we would call tech, um, being more informed on how tech influences every other area of policy, I think is becoming more and more an expectation. Um, and I'm not even talking here about the tech geeks. Uh, you know, this is still, uh, the wonks are is still in another category. But just, you know, anyone, you know, whether they're operating in healthcare, energy, um, uh, chemicals, you know, having some insight or awareness of how um, tech influences these sectors, I think, is becoming a, a, an expectation. Um, and also, um, and it, it, it was certainly on the table uh, and it was still being debated when I arrived um, and still continues to be debated, is the integrated approach of comms and public affairs. Um, you know, I, I, I can recall even, you know, as, as early as seven years ago, um, meeting with certain individuals who uh, quite categorically felt that uh, communications was simply air and it had no place. And I'm seeing it not just in consultancies, um, but I'm seeing it across corporates and probably most telling uh, within trade associations and federations that uh, historically have been quite um, uh, conservative with a small c in their approaches but uh, but the need for communication specialists uh, within these organizations is becoming more apparent i assume that's probably a quite challenging um, uh, area to recruit in though i'd assume the top tier communications talent is relatively tough to find in this town given that uh Brussels tends to attract people with a keen interest in politics and policy rather than politics and campaigning or, or marketing even, which is probably more suited to the communications function. Would you would you agree with that? For me, there are two things there. Um, one, yes, I you know I, I guess it comes back to the whole debate about what is and what is public affairs, and there are many who believe that public affairs is communications. Uh, there are many who believe that the two are inextricably linked. Um, therefore, identifying uh, communications experts uh, shouldn't be any different to identifying good public affairs experts. Uh, they should be one and the same. Um, but if we do separate the two, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's true, particularly if we're looking at more sort of... Uh, uh, digital comms and digital comms strategies um, and they're not necessarily attracted to Brussels you know as you say for political reasons it's more about uh, the content and the technology and and, and the next big thing um, uh, so therefore there is a lot of competition outside of Brussels for this type of talent um, so I think that could make it a little bit more challenging um, for organizations here in Brussels the other um, factor, though, that I wanted to pick up on is you suggested maybe it's the senior tier or the senior level um, that is going to be the most 
um, challenging from a recruitment perspective. Um, in actual fact, it tends to be the mid-tier that is the most challenging. And whether it's a public affairs role, whether it's a communications position, whatever the title is, it's that mid-tier below directors, but you know, senior enough to be taking responsibility for people management and uh, having uh, key interactions with uh, uh, external stakeholders. That's the most challenging area across the board. With regards to how profiles might have changed over the last few years, I think one thing that we've certainly noticed as consultants um, is that one concern, if we wish to call it that, um, that we hear from in-house public affairs professionals is that uh, public affairs practitioners, practitioners need to be better at understanding the intricacies of the business. They need to have more of a commercial sense and understand um, how to demonstrate commercial value and, and, and speak the language of the business. Uh, as a recruiter uh, or headhunter in the corporate space, is, is that something you're increasingly aware of but, or being asked to look for? It's something that has, uh, well, certainly I've been aware of for over 25 years. Um, and again, it's one of those uh, ongoing debates. Um, are people able to make that transition from public sector to private sector? And is it always going to be a, a happy transition? Um, you know, look, I've seen, um, I've seen many examples of it working effectively. Um, but I've also seen lots of anecdotal evidence or heard lots of anecdotal evidence of where it's maybe turned out to be a complete disaster for both parties. Um, you know, I think a lot of it depends on uh, how prepared an organisation is for the person and how prepared they make the person coming on board. Um, I think in some organizations and some private sector organizations uh, they have certain expectations of what someone brings to the table um, but if they don't prepare if they, if, they, if they don't make themselves ready to receive someone who may not um, be used to first of all the language that's used uh, within the private sector um, you know, it it is going to start off on the wrong footing. Um, one of the one of the most common complaints is that uh, people coming from the public sector just aren't used to the pace of life in the in the private sector. But of course, you know, this depends on the organisation. Um, I think sometimes it's more it's more down to language or the language that's used um, between the different differing organisations. Um, I mean, I've certainly seen many examples where it's worked perfectly. Um, but at the same time, and it was a conversation I was having quite recently uh, with some colleagues, is, um, you, know, they, they, you know, they were saying that uh, they, they, they've never seen a successful transition from public sector to private sector. So, look, you know, um, I don't think there's going to be a, a solution to this uh, very soon. I think it's a debate that's going to continue. Um, and I think the um, the take on it is going to depend very much on an individual's personal experience. For example, if someone has seen a successful transition from public sector to private sector, they're going to be more supportive of it. Um, if they have themselves worked across both sectors, they might be more, um, how do you say, 
maybe more understanding of where the differences lie and how these should be addressed or how they should be aligned uh, when moving forward. But I don't think it's something that we're going to see consensus on very soon. I've been a consultant for 15 years, um, so although I've worked with probably over 100 organisations, I've never been employed by any of them. And what I often hear is that the likes of me um, underestimate the complexity of big organisations, big big companies, um, and the, the necessity to to build uh, internal consensus and the pace and the snail pace at which internal consensus is built, and uh, the amount of time, the number of hoops that um, need to be jumped through. Uh, you know, coming back to the debate between private sector, public sector, I think um, understanding how to negotiate, um, you know, the beer moth that uh, is, uh, you know, a huge corporate isn't very different from the, let's say, the the political understanding that's required, and that's political with a small p, uh, of how uh, how to negotiate. Um, uh, a, a public sector body, um, particularly you know some of the major institutions. So having that understanding of how um, your function is interdependent on other functions, not necessarily who are geographically close to you, but could be interdependent in other ways and how to manage that relationship. I think those skills um, uh, are, are, are quite transferable. Uh, between organisations, but yeah, I mean, I've seen people struggle who uh, who come from private sector, but maybe coming from um, small, medium-sized enterprises, and who might be accustomed to that sort of environment, who do really struggle um, uh, uh, to understand how to get things done within an organisation where your team could be cross-continental. No, I agree. I think some of the skills picked up in the public sector in terms of navigating giant ships presumably are quite transferable. I guess the big challenge for people coming from the public sector to the commercial corporate sector is translating politics and policy to commercial commercial value. Your goal isn't shaping Directive X, it's helping grow your business or prevent unnecessary cost. And simple as it may sound, that translation isn't entirely simple. Um, Ian, you touched upon skill sets and, and how public affairs professionals are a tad different now in some senses to um, to what they were when you started in this game in Brussels seven years ago. And what about the public affairs professional, the future public affairs professional operating in 2030? What skills might they need that are not currently essential? I mean, obviously, without the benefit of a crystal ball, um, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm quite sure that uh, things will continue to progress at the pace that they have. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it is here now, and I referred to it earlier, and that is just, you know, either having awareness, if not bringing uh, a series of skills that are going to be useful from a from a digital comms perspective. Um, so, you know, I, I you know, I can't really see that anyone could survive over the next 10 years without having a basic appreciation of how social media uh, can and will continue to influence public affairs in Brussels and beyond. Mm. Um, 
I, th- I, th- I think some of the skills that are essential now will continue to be essential and maybe even more so. Um, I mean, Brussels has become a bigger field, um, you know, than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, you know, if you think about the, you know, the number of members now, OK, we're one less than we were last year. Um, but, I, you know, we will see that uh, uh, supplemented uh, over the course of the next 10 years. So because it's a bigger field i think um people need to op- will need to open up their circles they'll need to open up their uh, or widen their circles of influence they'll need to have uh, dialogue um ac- across um different fields of different spheres of influence compared to those you know so let's say you know 10 years ago you could work within your own sphere of influence you could work within your own field quite comfortably and be very successful but i think now and moving forward it's more important to be able to have um, certainly uh, cross-national dialogues but also cross-cultural dialogue um I, th- I think also what we're going to see from uh, people coming into coming into Brussels is also that, um, I mean, people here are, you know, they're not just in it. And I'm thinking about this from a more of a recruitment perspective. Um, you know, we can't quite simply say that uh, people are here for salary or for a job title or for the uh, uh, prestige that might go with a role. Um, you know, there's more to it than that. The content is always important. Um, and I think that's going to be even more so in the future. And I mean, the content uh, of the role is will continue to be important, but not just in the context of that organization's own interests, but an organization's interest in the bigger picture is going to be more important to the individual. So it's not just about the the basic cuts of corporate objectives that will be important to potential candidates, but more so how does that fit in with society in a broader context? How does that fit in in a broader cultural context? And I think this is the sort of thing that's going to be interesting for public affairs professionals in the future and therefore as employers we have to be aware of how we are perceived or how employers are perceived by these potential candidates. Ian we're um, we're nearing the end did you have any any final thoughts for people out there looking for work? Um, I think in the in the in the Brussels bubble itself um, look there are certain there are certain core skills that are that are that are needed, but you know, I mean, there's a couple of things. One is a common question I'm asked is uh, is it better to be a specialist or a generalist? Um, my answer there is um, it depends who you're speaking to. So you know, do what you enjoy best. If you know, if your thing is being a generalist, if you enjoy. Um, having dialogue with a number of different organisations on a number of different subjects, and that's where you thrive, if that's where you get your buzz, continue to do that. 
Um, similarly, if you prefer the, you know, the deep mining, if you, if, if the content is the most important thing to you, um, and you know, your 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 core thing is, um, you know, shifting the comma um, between uh, one adjective and a noun, then you know, continue to do that because you know that, that's obviously what you're good at, and the demand for both generalists and specialists uh, is out there, uh, so that will continue. Um, the, I, I mean, another core thing that is, um, uh, and this is maybe more so for entry level uh, candidates or more junior level candidates, but good writing skills. You know, the ability to uh, draft a piece of correspondence in a nuanced manner uh, continues to be at the top of the list for most hiring managers. Um, pay attention to that. Um, if you get that right, you'll be, you, and you will continue to be in strong demand. But the market in general, I would say, is still healthy here in Brussels. Um, just a, you know, a general comment over the past uh, uh, six, seven months of uh, lockdown and uh, being in a fairly difficult period, um, uh, I've continued to see a lot of activity here in Brussels. I'm working with clients who um, have told me there is uh, certainly an international freeze on recruitment, except for Brussels. It's still seen as an exception. And I think the need for um, qualitative insights uh, in Brussels continues to be a priority for all types of organisations across the board. That's an excellent note to finish on. Thanks so much, Ian. Thanks for your time. Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next month. Please watch the space. Thank you.